0: let's go ahead and jump into the message. The title of our series has been The Benefits. We're actually going to conclude this series this morning. We're going to be finishing this up. Next week we're going to be starting a brand new series. Uh, it's about a five-week series that'll take us through Easter and I'm very excited about it. You'll kind of, I'll kind of let you know a little bit more about it this week in our emails and also obviously next week we'll, we'll start and kick that off. But we've been in Romans 5. We've been looking at the first five verses of Romans 5. We've been taking some time and kind of digging in to what the Apostle Paul was communicating to, to the people in Rome and also to us. And so we're going to kind of look at it all again and we're going to kind of put a, hopefully a, a nice little bow on the end of Romans 5, 1 through 5. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, whatever, it'll also be up on the screen. We'll throw up Romans 5, 1 through 5 and then we'll kind of look at what we're going to be focusing on this morning. It says this, Therefore. Since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us to develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope in salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love, Father, we love You and we thank You so much for this time, Father. We thank You for the last couple of weeks as we've looked through uh, Romans one and two, and then looked through Romans three and 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 or excuse me, Romans five one and two and five three, Father. And as we look at these verses, we kind of conclude it, God. I pray that You would just kind of through Your Holy Spirit just bring it all together, God. That You would just communicate to us what You desire to communicate. And that, Father, that you would just change our hearts, make us more like you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about many different things. We've talked about having peace with God. We've had talked about this undeserved uh, favor, this grace that's we have now been, ex- it's been extended to us. We talked about how, how uh, trials can bring forth endurance last week. And we talked about all those things. This week, we're going to focus on verses 4 and 5 together as we kind of close it out. So again, let's look at it together. Romans 5, 4 through 5, it says, And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We've been talking about the benefits of the last several weeks. And as we kind of bring this down and kind of close out our series, I want to look at the benefit of strength of character. The benefit of strength of character. This is something that you you actually probably realize that you kind of talk more about than you probably understand because we tend to use a slightly different word when we talk about this idea and this concept of strength of character. We don't usually use that word. We don't usually say to somebody, well, you have strength of character, even though we probably do. We just use a word that's a little more familiar to us, even though I think that word is somewhat overused and not really understood in the fullness that we need to understand it. And it's that word that we use a lot called integrity. To have integrity means that you have strength of character. It means that you understand and live a certain way. And so you tend to understand that when people, you look at them and you go, that person has integrity. And usually if you ask anybody, well not anybody, but you ask people, you say, what's the definition of integrity? Usually you hear something that goes along with this. It means that you do the same thing when no one is looking as when everybody's looking. You heard that before? I, I know I have. I know I've probably used that before, but there is a depth of integrity that we need to understand. There's a depth of strength of character that Paul is trying to get us to see because it's greater than what we really understand it. I think integrity's kind of lost its, its zing. It's kind of lost its depth. And we want to look at that a little bit closer this morning. So we really understand what Paul is talking about and what should be a fruit that comes out of our lives. So let's look at it together. Let's understand the, there's a couple definitions that we typically use when we understand the word integrity. The first is the one that we usually think the most about and the second is just as valid, but we don't usually think about it quite as much. So the first definition of integrity or strength of character, is this. It's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles or moral uprightness. Okay, That's usually what we think of. Now, here's the issue that I have found with that definition in our world today. We are been told by our culture and by others that when we think about the idea of moral uprightness or principles or what's right or what's wrong, you get to decide what that is. You get to make up, well, what is moral? I can decide. So what that means is this. I can do something that in my mind means I am completely and totally living with integrity, but you look at it and go, absolutely not. You're not living a truthful life. You're not living an upright life. But I say, listen, this is what is moral to me. Now here, let me, let's, let's stop here for a second so we understand something, Okay. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we don't get the right, because we have given ourselves to Him, to define what is truth and what is not. We don't get the right to say, this is what I think is right, and this is what I think is wrong. Now, if you don't understand that, you don't understand what it really means when you say, I am giving myself to God. I am allowing Jesus not to just be my Savior, which we need, but my Lord. Now here's what's awesome about that. We have an unbelievable guidebook to tell us right from wrong, to tell us what God expects and what God doesn't. And I'll be honest with you, that is much better than me making up my own rules. because I make up my own rules based on temporal things that are going to cause me trouble down the road, okay? So it's an awesome experience, it's an awesome thing to understand that when we talk about integrity, we talk about it in an understanding that we are looking at God's word to be that guidepost to us, to be that clarification for us to understand what is these things? What is the right way to live? How should we treat one another? How should we live our lives? But others, they don't necessarily agree with that or live that way. And so integrity has turned into somewhat of a mushy concept because of that, okay, in our culture, in our world. But the second definition kind of helps also kind of understand a little bit more. So the second definition of integrity is the state of being whole or undivided. The state of being whole or undivided. So what does that mean for us as Christians? What does that mean as we take the whole concept of integrity, the whole definition of what it is, it means a couple things. Number one, it means that to us to have moral uprightness, we have to look at God's word and follow that and know that's how we get there. We can't do it on our own. We can't make up our own rules as we go. Okay, You remember when you were a kid? One of the things that drove me insane, and this was because I was probably extremely, well, I wasn't probably, I was extremely competitive. You ever played a game with somebody and they keep making up rules as you go along? That would, oh, that would make me so mad. It's like you were winning and then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, the whole point is to get the most points and then somehow midway through the game when you had more points, it was actually the, the way to win the game is to have the least amount of points. I mean what would listen, what would you do? Oops, what would you do when that would happen? I don't know about you, but I'd say, I'm out, I'm not playing this game anymore. You're changing the rules. When we look at integrity and we try to look at it with with Looking at it through lenses of situations or circumstances. If things are going bad or things are going good. It's like that. We kind of change the rules as we go. And when we do that, we're not living a life of of God's strength of character and integrity. But the second part of this is this concept of being whole or undivided. Let me explain this. It's real simple. It means how you live your life on Sunday should also be how you live your life on Wednesday. Okay? Okay? We, 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 we live an undivided life, meaning who I am needs to be the same no matter who I'm around, no matter where I'm at, and no matter what I'm doing. But we don't tend to do that. That kind of helps us understand this idea of integrity. When you're around others that maybe don't know Jesus, do you act, speak, live, watch, listen, or whatever it might be, to the same things as if there was someone maybe in this body of believers? See, that's not living with integrity if we're, we're putting on a certain attitude or a certain type of lifestyle in one situation, but in another, we're changing. Now, here's here's the thing about this that I think we need to understand, okay? Because I think this is where people run into issues. I know I have run into issues. Living in integrity is not living a life of perfection, okay? A lot of times what we do is we say, listen, I have to put on this mask or I have to put on this facade, I have to put on this thing so everybody around me in this church or in other places thinks I have got it all figured out and I'm perfect, okay? Okay? You're not. I'm not. Living in a life of integrity is at times admitting fault. It's admitting that we're not perfect. It's admitting that we need Jesus. We looked at basically this first part of Romans 1 through 5 and and this idea of, of undeserved privilege isn't about you're earning it. It's not about you've lived a perfect life and so therefore you have been awarded something. It's grace. It's undeserved. And so instead of living a life where we try to keep everybody away and, and, and you, you don't need to know my issues and my problems and my situations and my circumstances, instead we're called to live a life of integrity that says, you know what, there's days where I'm hurting. There's days where things aren't going well. And when we come to the body and we come to our friends and we come to Christians, it, we're, we're to be built up in those moments. You can't be built up if no one knows That there's issues going on, there's struggles going on that we all face, that we all go through. So don't don't misunderstand the idea of living in integrity and living a life of basically hypocrisy, which is not being honest with where you really are. It's important that we understand that. It's important that we understand that our life isn't to be a divided life. Listen, this is in your notes. The word integrity, when you break it all down, is the idea of a life of integration, not a life of compartmentalization. Ugh. It took me a long time this week to find that spelling. I hope I got it right. And then I was really concerned that I was going to butcher it because it was a long word. I don't know how many syllables. Life of integration, not a life of compartmentalization. Okay? If this makes sense, I'm gonna give you a visual that I've used actually, in, and I know this sounds weird, in premarital counseling. The Christian life is a life of a plate of spaghetti. You know, like spaghetti? Noodles intertwined every place, not a life of waffles. Because you know what? You look at a waffle, oh my goodness. Fred, bring it here, quick. This, this, I, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to over-spiritualize something, but this may just be God just doing something really cool. Because for some reason, I don't know why, we'll talk to Fred later, we have waffles here today. I think, I think Easton was getting waffles and he didn't want them. This is not what our lives should be. What is this? Look, I know, I know you're online, but you know what a waffle is, Okay. They're compartments. You, ever, you, you know what the great thing about a waffle is, and I'm really going off topic. You know what the great thing about a waffle is that makes it better than a pancake. I, I know I just spoke blasphemy to some of you. Is you pour the you put the you put the, the butter on, and yes, you put butter on waffles, hallelujah. And then you put the syrup on, and what gets trapped? The butter and the syrup. You put it on a pancake, yes it sinks in a little bit, but it just basically makes your plate wet. This gets all those in there. Listen, this is not your life. But so many of us live that way. We have our Christian walk here. We have our work walk here. We, all these things are compartmentalized. But yet a plate of spaghetti, everything is intertwined. I really don't think you want this back, right? So I'm going to put it up here. If you do, I'll buy you another a box of egos or whatever. So it is so important that we understand that. And I want to tell you a story that kind of brings this out because we sometimes forget how important living, not living a life like this is. We sometimes forget that. So I want to tell you a, a little bit of a story to kind of help, like I said, bring this up. On April fourteenth, 1912, there was a very large ship making its maiden voyage from basically over in the old country to America. is traveling through the North Sea. Many of you obviously know what I'm talking about. This was the Titanic. It was making its maiden voyage. The captain, when this ship came out, was one of the biggest ships they'd ever had built. The captain literally said, not even God could sink this ship. Can I, can I stop for just a moment? Just, just, this is free. Please don't tell God what he can and cannot do. Okay, not a good idea. I'm not saying that if you do, that God's going to say, well, <laughs> now you're going to get it. But, but please don't do that. But he, did, he said, not even God could sink this ship. So they're traveling at night. And as they're traveling, they began to get warnings. They began to get iceberg warnings. And they, and they, got, they got up to five of these that said, look out for icebergs. 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 After the fifth warning, finally the Titanic responds to this person trying to help them understand that there's icebergs in the water. And this is how they responded. Shut up! I'm busy. Thirty minutes later, the Titanic was sinking. Why? This massive ship. Why? Not even God could sink this ship. And I think it boils down to something very easy to understand. You see, the Titanic, the people in charge, forgot the truth about icebergs. You want to know why it sank? They forgot the truth about icebergs. Go ahead and throw that picture up there, Monica. The first one. Maybe you already have. There, if you hadn't, there it is. There it is. Look at that thing. That thing is massive. They they said that, I wrote this down, so I want to make sure I get it right. They said that that basically almost three 747s could fit in that ship. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know much about planes, but I got a feeling that's a big ship. They, 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 because of the compartments, because of how it was designed, they were like, it doesn't matter, it'll never sink, and all these things that are much deeper. But all those things didn't matter because they forgot the truth about icebergs. Monaco, you throw up that second picture, and I really hope we can see it. Okay, good. We actually can. That's great. You see that? You see the arrow? I, I was looking at it this week, and I think this is really cool, and this may be the case, it may not, but it still makes the point. From what I found, this photo was actually taken from someone on the lifeboats after the Titanic had sunk. That little thing out there is supposedly the iceberg that the Titanic hit. Now, Monica, go ahead and go to the next picture. And this is what it looks like close up. Doesn't look like much, does it? A ship that can fit almost three 747s. That Is that really going to stop it? Is that really going to be the problem? Is that what's really going to sink the ship? Well, if you forget about the truth about icebergs, yes. You see, we need to understand this because it also helps us understand the importance of integrity and importance of strength of character in our lives. And it's this, with icebergs as in our lives, 10% is above the surface and is what is seen, and 90% is hidden and is in your heart. Now, Monica, throw up that last picture. It's hard to see, I know, but trust me. Beneath that is a much larger iceberg than what you see under, uh, above the water. I didn't pick the right picture there. You have to look online. You have to watch the video. But trust me on this. We tend to spend so much time prettying up the 10 percent And almost our response is the same as the radio operator that was on the Titanic. Our response is when when someone says, hey, what about the 90%? What about the things that are in your heart that are greater than what you look like or the clothes you wear or the house you live in or how good your son or daughter is at sports or whatever it might be? We say, listen, we need to focus on the 90%. We need to look at those things that God looks at in our heart. Our response is, you know what? Shut up. Shut up. I don't have time. I'm too busy to focus on what really matters. It's so important. Look at Proverbs 4, 23. I love this verse. It says, guard your heart above all else, all else, for it determines the course of your life that integrity that's found in there, that strength of character that God wants to use in you, that wants, He wants to take those things. Listen, it's so important. We're told to, to guard it. We're told to watch it. We're told to make sure it's producing the right type of fruit and the right type of attitude and the right type of life. You see, this is in your notes. It was not what was above the surface that sunk the Titanic. It was below Without strength of character, our lives, like that great ship, can sink very quickly. I want you to think about that for a second. I have seen it happen time and time and time again. It's a lot of times not the 10% that causes the ships in our lives to sink. It's the things that are below the surface that no one sees, that we spend so much time trying to cover up and keep from everybody else, instead of taking them to God and saying, God, I got issues here. God, I'm not good in this situation here, but I know you can restore. I know you can change me. I know you can do some great things in my life, and I need your help to do that. I need that to be developed in me. I need to be the same person on Sunday as I am on Tuesday. I need to speak in love to not only those strangers but also to my own family. Because we all know sometimes it's much easier to be kinder to those that we don't know versus the ones that even live under our own roof. We need this. It's important. So many times in our lives ships sink and it's because we've forgotten the truth of the icebergs. So what do we do as we kind of bring this to a close? How do we develop this strength of character and integrity? How do we, how do, we do that? I want to give you some, some application. I want to give you some, some tools. I want to give you some help to help you understand that. And, and, and just so you know, um, there was, there's a book. It, it's called The Great Emission. It's a wonderful book. It's by a man named Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is an amazing theologian. I have several of his books, and this is, a lot of this information came from this book. A lot of the things that he was, uh, he, it, basically The Great Omission is a book about spiritual development and, and, and discipleship, and listen, I would love for you to read it. It's a great book, but just a little warning, it's, it, it's a little deep, it's a little, you know, you got to kind of wade through, but it's a great book. If you're interested in it, let me know. Um, but but th- a lot of this information here on this, these applications came from that, and But he's a wonderful author. And so he basically shares three uh, areas, or three things, or three ways that basically we develop this this character, and in this integrity. And, and with each of these, I've added basically a question, something that we can look at and ask ourselves to help us to understand how we're doing with these areas and how we're seeing these things. The first one, uh, and I know we talked a little bit about it last week, but it, it's still important. It's the idea of is, we uh, develop these things through trials, through trials. Look at James 1, James 1, 2 through 4. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way considered it an opportunity for great joy for you know that when your faith is tested your endurance has a chance to grow so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed you will be perfect and complete needing nothing We talked a little bit about this last week of the concept of having some perspective, understanding that God allows these trials to come to grow us, to help us to grow in our strength and in our endurance. He brings these trials so that we can rely on Him and allow Him to change us and move us and help us in a way that that we can't do it if everything is always just kind of perfect and and good so sometimes God does allow these things to happen but James tells us listen we need to look at these things with great joy Uh, you know and we have to be realistic I don't think that James is saying like this in the in the the, right there in that moment where we're kind of dealing with we need to jump up and down and do a happy dance but in a in the time of taking back and realizing it with respect if to go listen God is going to use this God is going to help me grow through this situation so the question that we need to look at is this how is God shaping me through this experience? You need to take a step back and ask that question. When you're going through a hard moment or a hard trial, you need to say, God, what are you trying to do? How are you trying to shape me? What, what area of my life are you trying to knock off that rough edge? And let God speak to you to help you to understand so that you can grow in this area of integrity and character. But first it comes through trials. And this is in no particular order by the way. Number 2, it comes through Holy Spirit interaction. Holy Spirit interaction. Look at with me 2 Corinthians 3. In 2 Corinthians 3:18, this is what it says. It says, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Now let me stop here for just a second to give you a little context, okay? In 2 Corinthians, basically before this in this area, Paul has been talking about people that he would consider to be spiritually blind, okay? People that have not, because of their rejection of Jesus or because they they, they just haven't been willing to allow God to do in their lives what God wants to do, that they have this kind of, they're spiritually blind is basically what he's saying. They're kind of walking around with blinders on or with a blindfold on. And so as we get here to 2 Corinthians 3, 18, he's basically saying, listen, so, so you had that veil removed. So he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to people that know God. So he said, you've had that veil removed. You've had that blindfold, blindfold taken off, okay? So that's the context that we're looking at here. Okay, Monica, if you want to throw that back up there. So we've had the veil removed and can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. As, as this takes place. Now I want you to look at a couple of things. I want you to ask yourself a question. Who is the, the changing agent in this verse? Is it you? Does it say, Monica, let's throw that back up there. Does it say that you are the changing per, person? Who, who is doing the changing? Who is doing the... The, the 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 work inside of you it's the spirit it's the spirit as he makes us more and more like him he does that what is our job in this well first it's to take the veil off second it's to reflect but here's the other part of this that sometimes we miss it's the interaction with the spirit it's being with the spirit or God, or Jesus, whatever you want to say here, that helps us to become more and more like him. But the, 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 the acting agent here, the changing agent, is the spirit. The spirit is doing these things. The spirit is taking those edges and those things in your life and taking them. What our job is, is to number one, be in his presence, be in his have interaction with him, so that can actually take place in our lives. And when it happens, one of the ways that we can see it is we begin to reflect him listen you want to ask me what is one of the greatest things that I can experience as a pastor it's this it's when and please understand what I'm saying here it's when I see less of you and I see more of Jesus that is the great you want to talk about you know the greatest thing to see it's when I see you and I'm like yes that's so and so but all of a sudden this week I see more of Jesus than I saw last week How does that happen? How does that take place? It takes place because we interact with the Spirit. We're with the Spirit. We experience life with Him. And as that takes place, the more and more time we begin to spend with Him, the more and more the change He begins to make in us and through us. Listen, hear me here, okay? You're not going to go from today, you know, driving down the road. Somebody cut you off, cussing at them, throwing the finger, yelling at them, getting out of the car and taking a baseball bat to their fender. You're not going to go from that to tomorrow being able to to not have those issues when someone does that. Say, Aaron, I get that. How do I get there? This is how we get there. We spend time with our Father. We let ourselves become more and more like him because we're around him and we experience him. The last one, it kind of goes in with that one. Oh wait, first of all, the question, the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, and this is a great question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you and how are you responding? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you and how are you responding to that? That is a great question to ask yourself. Because the Lord wants to speak to you. He wants to share these things with you. How are you responding to those things? Number three, and the last one. We do it through engaging in spiritual disciplines. We do it through engaging in spiritual disciplines. Look at 2 Peter 1, 5 through 5-9. It says this. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises... Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self control and self control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Verse number eight. The more you grow like this, I love this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 9. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Verse 9. Man, Peter isn't messing around. I want you to listen. If you have, and we talked about this before, you got a Bible and you got a pen or a highlighter. Or got a, I want you to highlight those words fail to develop. I don't want you to fail to develop. Why are spiritual disciplines so important? Because they keep you from failing to Develop One of the saddest but truest statements that I can say about sometimes people in the church is you can have people that have been saved for 30 or 40 years and honestly are still in preschool. It is a travesty, but it happens all the time. They have failed to develop. One of the things that we focus on so much that's so important to me is I don't want us to fail to develop. I want us to, as Peter said, I want us to be useful. I want us to be productive for the kingdom. But so many times, because we're not willing to discipline ourselves in these areas, we can fail to develop. Listen, I, I gave some examples. It's in your notes, so it'll be on the screen. Just some examples of spiritual disciplines. Prayer, fasting, submission, Bible reading and study, service, worship, celebration, solitude, guidance, simplicity, giving, and community. Listen, these are areas that you need to have in your life. These are not optional for you if you want to grow. Now, if you want to fail to develop, don't do these things. If you don't want God to help you develop character, strength of character and integrity, don't do these things. Because you do these things, guess what's going to happen? You're going to grow. You're going to grow. You're going to develop in these areas. And each of these are so important. So important. The question is this, what spiritual disciplines do you need to engage in to help you develop? What spiritual disciplines... Hey, listen, may, can you tell... First of all, this may be a good question to ask yourself. What spiritual disciplines are you involved in? Because you need to be involved in some of these. And that's great. I want, you know... Some of these are, are very basic, guys. But the question is is, what does God... As he wants to move you forward... What are some of these that you need to engage in... Even more so, or start for the first time? We want to grow in this way. We're going to have to be willing to do these things and it's so important i have a quote to kind of bring us to a close it's by dallas willard it's the gentleman i was sharing that wrote these things this is what he says he says we should not only want to be merciful kind unassuming and patient persons we should also make plans to become so we should make plans to become so isn't that amazing? That so many of us, and I, 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 I'm in that too at times. We we don't make plans to actually grow. We we think that it's just going to magically take place. Listen, I, I don't know about you, uh, but but here very soon, I, I know what's going to happen at my house. I, I promise you. Very soon, my wife is going to come home with a a a cardboard thing of a bob. I don't even know what there are. So, and you know what's going to be inside of them? Plants. They're going to be tomatoes. There better be tomatoes. Man, I love me some homegrown tomatoes. Woohoo! Some tomatoes. She's probably gonna bring home some squash and some zucchini. And they're gonna be these little starter plants, you know what I'm talking about? And we're gonna plant them in it. We have a little box, we're gonna plant them there. Okay? Now, this is real simple. And real elementary, but it's amazing how we fail to do this in our spiritual life sometimes. If we planted them and then just walked away, what would happen to our plants? We didn't water them. Didn't worry about the sun. Didn't no fertilizer. No no. Maybe the, is the ground good? Ah, don't matter. They'll grow. Would we get some? Would we get some fruit? Would we get some stuff? Eh, probably. Maybe. But I promise you this, we wouldn't get the harvest if we made a plan to bring forth a healthy, exciting, good crop. It's so important. Monica, I know I skipped this, and so I'm sorry to throw you a curveball, but can you go back to Galatians 6, 8, please? Oh, good job, thank you. It says this, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. I want you to grow. God wants you to grow. God wants you to develop in so many areas. Yes, this morning as the worship team comes up, we focused in on this idea of integrity and and. And, and this idea of strength of character. But listen, listen, God has great plans for you. God has a massive harvest for you to be a part of. But to experience the harvest that God wants you and me and this church and our families and this community to experience, we're going to have to make a plan to start growing so that we can experience the harvest that God wants us to experience. And so many of us at times we just think it's going to just magically happen. Listen, I I don't want a situation for you or for me where one day we stand before God and he says, "Yeah, you made it. That's great, but you failed to develop" You failed to develop. Over the last couple weeks, we've talked a lot about this. I know that the first week was kind of a refresher, kind of a reminder about peace with God and, and about, about this, this grace that God has given us. And, and Paul, in these first five verses, really takes us on a journey. He begins the, the whole process with helping us to understand what God has done for us how much he loves us, how much he desires for us to to have a place of standing with him. We talked about that the first week. This grace where we now stand. And because of that, we can rejoice, even in the midst of trials. Why? Because we understand what God has already done for us, and we also understand what he's doing in the presence, even, even through those hard moments. And today, as we we talked about this idea of strength of character and integrity that God wants us to to grow in, he wants us to look back even to that first week and go, I want to grow because of all that he's done for me. I want to know him more because he's so good. I want my love for him to grow. And therefore, when that happens, my love for others to also grow. I want to be useful and productive. I don't want to fail to develop for him. Because of all he's done for me. I love him so much. Can you do me a favor? We're going to bow our heads. and We're going to just take a moment. You see, one of the things that we talked about was this Holy Spirit interaction, this this interaction with Jesus and our Father and the Spirit. One of the reasons we take this moment is to give you an opportunity to have Holy Spirit interaction. It's giving us the opportunity to, to go to our Father and say, God, are there any areas of my life that I'm not growing yeah, I know we, we focused on, on, on this particular topic and we all need to ask about that. We should. Maybe our lives aren't measuring, or not, not matching up, excuse me, not measuring, but not matching up. They're not consistent. Our lives are too waffle and not enough spaghetti. But maybe there's something else. Maybe there's another area where God is gonna speak to you during this time and say, you know what? I love you, I always have loved you, but I love you enough to call you out and to say, listen, you're not growing here. You're failing to develop in this place. And I want you to grow. You see, as much as I want you to grow, as much as I want myself to grow, God wants you to grow even more because he knows the harvest that is available. He knows the life change in you and through you that you can bring about. So God is rooting for you. God is for you. God knows and sees what is available to you with his help. I wanna be productive for God. I wanna be useful in his hands. You know, it's interesting. Jesus talked about it and he said, you know, in one of his parables, this concept of when it was all said and done, the servant came and the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't it interesting that Peter, in basically the same way, said somewhat the same thing? When I stand before God, when when all this is done and over, I want him to look at me and say, well done, my productive and useful servant. And I don't want just the bare minimum. I don't want just what barely can grow out of a tomato plant when I just plant it and leave it. I want to cultivate it. I want to water it. I want to pamper it. I want to do all those things because I know what a harvest can come. When I do, when I make a plan to do those things. Listen, if we'll do that for a tomato, how much more should we do it for our spiritual life? Don't fail to develop. So, Father, I come to you right now, and Father, I pray that as I've been, the Holy Spirit is already speaking to our hearts, already sharing areas. Yes, Father, we need to look at this idea of strength of character and integrity. But Father, there's so many other areas. And Father, I would never look at you and say, no, just focus on here, God. Whatever you got, God, you do. Whatever you want to bring forth, whatever areas of growth that you want to do, whatever areas of of understanding who we are or or this this unmerited favor, this, this undeserved favor, God. Whatever you want to do, God, we open up to you and say, God, whatever you got for us, God, let us be open to it. Let us be open to those things because God, you love us. You care for us. God, even though sometimes we walk through hard moments, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that Father, you're with us. You will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You've got us in your arms. So let us run to you. Let us go to you and know that you're a good Father. But God, I pray that no matter where we're at, you would begin to reveal these things. Father, this was a very applicational message. There was a lot of things that we need to look at and do, and I understand that takes some time at times. But God, I pray that even throughout this afternoon and tomorrow, that you would just bring things to our hearts and to our minds. Questions that we need to ask ourselves that we would begin to make a plan to become the women and men of God that you called us to be. Help us to develop. Help us to be useful. We love you and we thank you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are gonna come lead us in a quick closing chorus. Thanks, God. God, you're so good. Father, I'm so thankful that you love us so much that you call us up. You don't don't call us up because you're disappointed at where we are. You don't call us up because you look at us and you go, you know, you dummy, if you would just. You call us up because you know the amazing things that you can do in us and through us when we're willing to take that next step in you and with you and so father I I just I just as I was back there praying father I just pray against the spirit of inadequacy God I pray against the spirit of inadequacy that just says you know what I'll never be any good at this I'll never be able to live this Christian life I'll never that is a lie from the pit of hell seriously let's just call it for what it is That's garbage. You're not garbage for thinking it, but it's garbage nonetheless, and it's a lie. And God would share with you and speak to you, that is not how he sees you. You can do this with his help. He says to you, all things are possible for you. You can grow, you can get better. He can restore areas in your life that you think are dead, broken, and forgotten. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy anymore. Instead, listen to your father who speaks love and truth over you that says, listen, with my help, you can be greater than you've ever thought you could be. You can be used by me in ways you never dreamed possible. And so when the enemy comes and the enemy says you're not good enough, the enemy says you're not capable enough, the enemy says you'll never get this right, you can stand up to him with the truth of God's word that says, you know what, enemy, you're nothing but a liar, you're nothing but a thief, you're nothing but a somebody that wants you to destroy, and I refuse to listen to what you've said about me because the Lord has spoken differently. The Lord has said, I am capable. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I will grow. I will mature. I will experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so I just, listen, listen. Let Lord just, just comfort you right now with that word. Let the Lord's truth wash over you. Don't listen to the lies anymore because God has great things. God has great plans. The past is gone. It's over. Behold, He is doing a new thing. Let Him pour new wine into new wineskins and watch what He'll do in you and through you. So Father, we love you and we thank you for this day, for this time, for this opportunity to come together. Help us, God. Help us to allow ourselves to to grow in you and to experience a new level of strength of character, a new level of integrity. Help us to develop. You're so good. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, thank you so much for being here. Hey, for those that are online, we love you. We miss you. We hope to see you soon. For everybody that's here, man, it's so awesome to be a part of the service with you this morning. Listen, remember, we have prayer on Wednesday. We have community groups this weekend. If you want to get involved in those things, please come see me. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.